So those six fears are the fear of poverty, the fear of criticism, the fear of ill health, the fear of a loss of love, the fear of old age, and the fear of death. So we're going to deal with the fear of loss of love, the fear of old age, and the fear of death today. If you have your Bibles, turn it open to Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, and we'll jump in there in just a moment. You know, we all have to deal with these fears from some time or another in our life. We all have to deal with these fears at different degrees. Some of these fears come because of circumstances that hit our life. Some of these fears come because we're faced with uh, just really, really bad upbringing and words and things that were spoken over us that really hurt us to our core. There's different reasons why we have to deal with these fears at different times. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 says, You did not receive a spirit of slavery that returns you to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship from which we cry, Abba, Father. So we are not slaves to fear. We don't serve a slave master God that forces our hand or that causes us to fear. We don't serve a God, anything other than Abba Father, a God who loves us, a God who calls us his own, a God who makes us part of his family. That's the God we serve. So we don't have to worry about fear. So let's jump into the first fear today. The fear of loss of love. This is a big one. This is akin to jealousy. This is an idea of jealousy that we fear other people's jealousy that we fear that they're so jealous that if we go do what God called us to do, they could cut us off. That if we go and become what God's called us to be, that we'll lose their compassion, that we'll lose their acceptance, that we'll lose favor in their life and in their eyes. This fear motivates a lot of reasons. See, jealousy doesn't need a reason at all. It can be vicious and it can be violent and just as distracting with absolutely no basis but it's still a very big motivating factor for many people. Jealousy is a huge motivator for a lot of people. Some of us operate in a realm of jealousy and some of us are the recipients and so we fear that loss of love. Let me explain it this way. Good parents want their kids around them. Good parents want to nurture their children. Good parents want to keep their kids close to keep them safe. They wanna instruct them to grow them, develop them in the word. But bad parents say, don't you ever leave me. Don't you ever leave me. I don't know what I would do. If you left me, we can't, we can't, we can't have a relationship. If you ever left the region where we live, the Quad Cities area, I, I just don't know what I would do. I'd fall apart. If, if, if you left, I, 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 I couldn't look at you the same way. That's not a good parent. That's not reverencing your children. That's jealousy that if they go off and do what God called them to do, that your, your, uh, the version of you that they have in their mind might be diminished, it might be shortened, and therefore you might not seem as much of an influence, but that's a good thing at times. Sometimes the fear of the loss of loved ones comes, or, or this fear of jealousy comes as a spouse says, I, I, don't, I don't want you to go do what God's called you to do, because you might meet someone else and, and, and Maybe they'll be more interesting than I am, and maybe they don't say it out loud, but may, maybe you'll trust them more, or, or maybe you'll see someone who, who's at a different stage of life than I am. They can provide more and do more, and, and they're fearful on both ends that if we go out and do what God's called us to do, that we could grow distant and grow apart, and then the person who's trying to step out in faith is fearful that if they go do what God called them to do, that this spouse might not res respect them or love them or accept them the way they have been. Ecclesiastes chapter four and verse four says this, 
I have seen every day labor and every skill which is done in the result of rivalry or jealousy between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity, it's striving after the wind. That there's all kinds of things that are done in the name of jealousy. They're done in the name of the loss or the fear of the loss of love of some other person. Where we create little boxes, we create little modes in which people can live and to be, and anything outside of that, we build up a wall and we say, I can't accept you past this point. Some of us have economic standards, right? If someone goes up the ladder, then well, well you're, just not, you're just not part of us anymore. I don't know that we can accept you. And others have different economic standards, and if someone's below you on the ladder, well, you just don't get what it's like to live our lifestyle. So if you drop below that, the fear is that they won't accept you anymore. This fear of loss of love, this fear of loss of approval is a real thing that we feel. It's a real issue that we feel when we're striving in our work and in our everyday life. It's one of the things that causes that jockeying between the Joneses. It's one of the issues that we all have to face. The fear of the loss of love is very familiar or, or akin to criticism. Jealousy is akin to criticism, right? Someone's gonna criticize me for not doing or for doing. Someone's gonna criticize me based on their opinion. Well, the fear of the loss of love is saying that if I step out and do what God's called me to do, that that critic, that critical voice in my ear will be right. But more than that, the fear of the loss of love is that the wall will be built up so big that we'll never get past it. Our relationship will never be the same that our relationship could be tainted forever. The fear of the loss of love, again, is akin to criticism. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25. The fear of man lays a snare for some, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man is a snare. It'll catch us. It'll hold us captive. It becomes a tether that doesn't allow us to do what God's called us to do. But those who trust the Lord, they're safe. Those who trust the Lord, they're free. Those who trust in God and his purpose and his plan for your life, you are free to live in the space that God's called you to. Now, there's two levels in which we've dealt with this personally for our own life. The first one was when I was very young and I was just entering ministry at a church in Kentucky. And I had grown up here in the Quad Cities under a great man, uh, Steve Stevens, for those of you that know him in Rock Island. His son-in-law now pastors that church after his passing. It's a great, strong, thriving church. Steve was a great man. He was my pastor. When I was younger, I felt God pulling and calling on my life, and, and I felt God calling and whispering of the things that I, I believe he was calling us to and the things that we would do, <clears throat> and I felt bad. I felt bad because I felt that if I stepped out and did what I thought God was putting on my heart to do, that what, what, if I, what if I supersede what Steve's done? What if I do more than what Steve's done? What if, I, what if God's true to his word and, and, and we impact more people numerically? What if the church grows beyond what, what Steve saw? Like, is that okay? And would he still accept me? Or would there be resentment? And it, it, would there be a wall or a wedge in our relationship? So one day I was home, I was on vacation home here visiting my parents, I think around Thanksgiving. And I decided to have lunch with Steve. And I said, listen, we got to sit down together. I got something on my heart. And I said, man, I, I don't understand this feeling, but I feel almost fearful that if I do what God's called us to do, and for some reason, God blesses us, and, and, and we do, well, we do something more than maybe you've done. I, I, I don't know what that's going to do to our relationship, and I don't want anything to ever hurt that. 
And he laughed as he always did. Kind of shoulders kind of jerked, jerked a little bit. And he smiled. He said, you don't understand. That's what I've always wanted for you. He said, you don't understand. I would hope, I would pray that you would do more, that you would experience more, that your ministry would go further, that God's hand on your life would be stronger than it ever was in mine. I would pray that you would stand on our shoulders to accomplish greatness. But the fear inside my head was, what if it is successful? Will he still accept me? Will he still love me? Steve passed a number of years ago and had many opportunities to sit with his wife, his widow. There's no loss of love there. They still love and care for us. They still want God's goodness in our life. They still want us to accomplish God's plan for our life. But the fear was there, and many of us carry the similar fear around, this fear of the loss of love, this fear of jealousy. What will happen if I go do what God's called me to do and I break a barrier and I become more than my mother or father could have ever thought of? What if I break the ceiling in my family and finally become someone who graduates from college? What if I break a ceiling in my business and outperform and outpace my partners? What happens if I am true to the purpose that God has for my life and the people around me are threatened? The fear of the loss of love is real. This fear of acceptance is real, but we need to understand that the Bible, it's nothing new. That this fear of man is a snare, it's a trap, and all it will do is, is fetter you to a menial existence. All it will do is, is cage you with the potential of what could be. In order for us to get around this fear, we have to start asking the question, whose approval are you worried about anyway? Are you worried about the approval of a spouse, of a mother or a father, of a business partner? Are you worried about the approval of someone other than God? Because the only person that really matters is God. The only person that really matters is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life that's nudging us and pushing us towards our goal, towards our purpose, towards our destiny. That's the only person whose approval we should ever be seeking. But the reality is sometimes the relationships around us are broken to the extent that we are fearful that if we do what God said to do, if we become what God told us to become, that we might cut off that relationship, that a wall might grow. And in doing that, we're not sure that we can move on because we're wondering what happens in the interim. What happens if that, if that relationship never gets put back together? What happens if the wall stays strong? Well, the reality is that we really have an audience of one that we're living for anyway. And though it might be hard, we have to understand that we can't let the limitation of the fear of the loss of love dictate our life and our purpose it can't be what dictates our life and our purpose. It can't be what holds us back. It can't be what puts us in a cage. We have to let ourselves cut loose. Some of you have parents that are dead and gone and they still whisper in your ear, if you accomplish more than me, I don't know how I could look at you the same. Some of us have friends who aren't even around anymore. But because of their socioeconomic status, we wonder that can we accomplish greatness because we might leave them in the dust. They're responsible for their life. You're responsible for yours. And truth be told, most people will glory in your success. Most people will shout your praises because they're just excited that you made it. But we forget 
because sometimes we're not truthful with ourselves. Sometimes we're not truthful with ourselves and how we handle the success of those around us. Some of us are still those parents who are telling our children, don't you ever leave me, when we should be cutting them loose to explore what God's called them to. In my own personal life, my parents were very good at this. They allowed us the opportunity to be who we were called to be. They didn't like it. There were times where my mom just cried big old mama tears because I was getting older. In fact, I got grounded one day for growing up. You ever done that to your kids? <laughs> Literally, she was mad. I'm like, what's wrong with you? She's like, you're getting too big. You're grounded. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> Nothing I can do right in this house. But after that grounding, she did tell me she loved me. She said, we, she wants the best for my life. My dad said the same thing. They wanted the best for our life and they cut us loose and let us do what God called us to. For me, that took me to uh, Ohio and Tulsa, Oklahoma and Kentucky and New Orleans and Pittsburgh. And finally, God called us back home. And I'm sure they saw us trekking around the country thinking these kids will never come back. To my sister, she was cut loose and she found her way to New York. Big city, small town girl living in a lonely world. Anyway, I won't... I won't go through the stupid song. You really want to hear someone who can't sing well, that's me. Anyway, God cut her loose and she went to New York and she found the love of her life and ultimately God called her and her family back to the Midwest. I can be honest that if we didn't have parents that said, listen, honey, you go be what God's called you to be. We'll deal with our emotions. You go be what God's called you to be. If they didn't dismiss that fear of the loss of love, we might have still left, but we would have never made our way back. We may have still left, but we would have been so resentful, we would have said, never in the world will I come back because I don't want to fear that fear again, that fear of the loss of love. So we have to ask ourselves, whose approval are we seeking anyway? Whose approval are we seeking anyway? Are we seeking the approval of man or are we seeking the approval of God? Listen, there's all kinds of vain things done, all kinds of rivalries happen, all kinds of jealousy happens in skilled work and common work, in everyday work, in everyday circumstances, and in the most skilled labor settings. We can't be limited by the fear of the loss of love. The next fear I wanna deal with is one I don't understand. In fact, I have a really hard time with this one because I don't understand it. I don't understand why men and women would be afraid that they're gonna dry up and blow away at the ripe old age of 40 or 50. I mean, this is a real fear for people, this fear of old age, man. This fear that the crow's feet are, are, are starting to set in and this fear that the wrinkles happen and this fear that the metabolism is dying and this fear that you have creaks and, and, and little pains when you get out of bed, this fear that your body might be slowing down and you have to take a nap in the middle of the day. Listen, I used to hate naps as a kid, just like my kids. I used to fight tooth and nail. Now I can't wait to take a nap. It's like the best part of my day. There's an MIT study, it's called the Young Founders Myth. And it says this, that the average age for a startup founder is 42. That the average age for startup founders who started high growth companies is 45. That's their average age, 45. Now listen to this, this gets a little more interesting. Vera Wang didn't start designing anything until she was 39, 39. Sam Walton was 44 before he opened his first Walmart. It gets better. Martha Stewart was 50, almost 50, before she started Martha Stewart Living. 
Ray Kroc was 52 before his first McDonald's franchise. Colonel Sanders was 62 years old before he had the idea of franchising Kentucky Fried Chicken. It only happened because they messed up his restaurant and built a highway through it and he had to figure something else out to make money. He literally slept in his car, went restaurant to restaurant, trying to convince people to buy his chicken recipe and then franchise from there. He was, he was 62 years old when he started that venture. And one of my favorites is, uh, is Sherry Harker, who started Zwimzoot at 76 years old. It is a premier brand of swimwear for women, a little bit for men, throughout the globe, mostly in European countries and in Australia. And she didn't know how to code a website. She knew nothing about e-commerce. She had no idea how to jump into this industry, an industry that swallows people up every single day where companies pour money into it. And she started it at 76 years old and beat out big companies like Body Glove and other surfwear companies. And she did that at the age of 76 years old. Age is just a number. Age is just a number. If you'll go after what God's called you to, if you'll go after the purpose that God's called you to, age is just a number. We don't have to worry about age, even though ageism is becoming an issue in our culture at times, and I get why. We have a baby boomer culture that wants to hold on. They want to hold on to positions and jobs. They want to hold on to where they're at, and they should. They've earned it. And then we have some young 20-something millennials who are trying to make their way up the ladder, and they're saying, hey, Grandpa, come on, man. Give me a turn. Well, there's a place for both. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 31, it says, gray hair is a crown of glory. It's gained in a righteous life. Now, women... For some reason, most of y'all don't get this verse. And I know it's a cultural thing that we color our hair. My wife just colored hers because she's getting some gray hair. I blame myself for most of the gray hairs, but really the children are the problem. I know they're the problem for my gray hair. Um, but anyway, the Bible says gray hair is a crown of glory. We shouldn't look at folks who are a little bit older as not having any, any real influence. We shouldn't look at folks who've been around the block a few times as being irrelevant. See, the problem is we can Google any answer, but you can't Google the wisdom that comes behind those answers. You can't get on your phone and type a little phrase and Google the years of wisdom that come by solving the problem that you've typed into a search bar. Only years and years of experimenting on planet Earth can give you that kind of wisdom. That's why the Bible says the gray hair is a crown of glory. Man, we ought to be proud of it. I'm starting to get a little more in my beard, a little more on the side of my head. Again, I blame my children. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 32. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. We should honor those who have some years under their belt. We shouldn't be fearful of old age. We should understand this is a place of honor. That I've finally gotten somewhere because I finally have some years under my belt, because I've finally paid my dues enough, lived life enough to have something to say. You know, there are so many folks out there right now who are just throwing information online and we believe it, man. We eat it up. It comes on YouTube. It comes on, on Facebook. It comes through Instagram and we just eat it up, eat it up, eat it up. And, and you wonder, do you have any years under your belt to even be thought of as a wise person? 
In fact, some of you know, I had surgery on my elbows a few years ago. And you know, when you go to the doctor, you want someone who has some years under their belt. Well, the doctor came in and he looked like he wasn't old enough to drive to the hospital, let alone perform the surgery. And so I asked, is this guy really doing the surgery? Like the, he stepped out and the nurse was like, well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a doctor, he's a seasoned doctor. I'm like, no, he looks like he's 12. Like, can we get somebody else? She said, don't worry, there's an attendant on, on staff who's been here 30 years. He's looking over your case as well. And I'm like, oh, thank God, you know. I don't want some young kid hacking into my body and messing things up. But the reality is we know when we're supposed to look for wisdom. Someone's gonna look over your finances. You don't want some young buck just out of high school who can barely add. Someone just out of college who has a CPA degree and has never grown any wealth at all. You want someone who has some gray hair, who's seasoned, who's seen the ups and the downs in the markets. You want someone who's put in their dues so that you know your money's secure. Same thing's true with your doctor. You want someone who's seen some years behind them so you know that you can trust them. Listen, old age is not something to fear, it's something to embrace. Getting older is not something to fear. Now, the things I fear about getting older are the fact that when I was 20 years old, I could eat two large pizzas in the, in the, in the time span of about 20 minutes and nothing happened. I was hungry again in another hour. Now I look at a piece of pizza and I gain 15 pounds but it's just part of life. It's not something we should fear. We need to learn to adjust. Real achievement in this world is a result of men and women who've gone well beyond the age of 50. And some of the greatest achievements that the world has ever seen, especially in this country as of recently, generally between those who are between the ages of 65 and 70. Think of that for a minute, 65 even up to 75. Some of the greatest achievements in life, those who should be retired, those who should be, who should be quote unquote, giving it up. They're achieving some of the greatest things we've ever seen on planet earth. Again, there's a myth that you see the Mark Zuckerbergs and you see the Steve Jobs and you see some of the guys that hit the news. Listen, they hit the news because they're young. They hit the news because they're energetic. They hit the news because they're in the anomaly. When you have an old guy who's in his 60s who's run a company for 40 years, when you put him up in front of folks on television, it doesn't look as cool, but that's where the wisdom is. I'm of the philosophy that age is just a number. And as long as I'm learning, as long as I'm laughing, as long as I'm loving, I'm young. What makes us young, what makes this life interesting is connection, to learn the story of another person to laugh with them through life and to love with them when it's hard. True life happens in the midst of connection and relationship and old age affords us more and more opportunities to do that. Some of you are at an age where you can invest your life to a greater degree than you ever thought possible because you don't have to raise kids anymore because you're past some of the baby stages because you're at a place where you're financially more secure than you've ever been. And you have the option now to just give your time away. Learn to invest. Learn to invest what those gray, hair, those gray hairs mean. Cover them up if you need to, but remember those gray hairs mean something. Behind them is wisdom. Behind them is life. Behind them are experiences. And there's a generation out there that's longing to connect 
They can find an answer. They don't need you for that. They need you for your story. They need you for your wisdom. They need you for your impact. Keep a relaxed attitude about getting young, or I'm sorry, about getting old in the coming years. The fact is I have all the time in the world to just get better. You think I'm good now, give me 20 years. That's not a joke, I mean that with everything in me. I don't like the fact that some of you laugh, but you think I'm good now, give me 20 years, cause I'm gonna be 10 times better. The fact is that as time marches on, we are doing nothing but getting better. The body might be dying, but who cares, man? I'm gonna give this one over to the grave. and I'm gonna get a new one when this life is over. So I'm cool to wear this one out. My thought, my thought is that I'll experience so much more as time goes by. In this way, I'm convinced that my best years are still ahead of me. And I don't care how old I get, I will always hold to that truth that my best years are still ahead that I have opportunity because of the life and the wisdom and the experiences that I'm gaining daily, daily, to be more impactful for the gospel, to be more impactful in my life. So the question is, how old do you feel? How old do you feel? Do you still look in the mirror and expect to see a 19-year-old? I do sometimes. It's cool, I still feel that way. I feel probably as energized as I've ever felt in my life. I still need to take a nap more than I've ever had to, and I still go to bed earlier than I've ever gone to bed. I don't understand what happened, but my body clicked over 35 years old, and all of a sudden, nine o'clock looked awesome as a bedtime. <laughs> and I feel like it's gonna be six by the time I'm 50. <laughs> but it's just part of the aging process. The problem is this fear of old age bleeds into our next fear, and it's the fear of death. Oh my goodness, we are so consumed at times with the fear of death. And we say dumb things about it, right? This will be the death of me. This cold, this cough, this flu season, this issue, this mountain, it'll be the death of me. I just, I don't know how we're gonna get through it, I'm just gonna die. So dramatic. We all have to fear, or have to deal with this fear of death from one degree or another, everyone on the planet has dealt with it to one degree or another, but it comes in two parts. First, it's the fear of the unknown. Am I sure I'm saved? Listen, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. That we know we're secure in Christ because of John's words. That if we even trusted our soul to him, that when this life is over, we will be resurrected. We will find heaven as our home. We don't have to worry about security. We don't have to worry about the fear of the unknown. <clears throat> the next fear is, did I accomplish my mission? The next real fear that we have when we fear death is not, where am I gonna go when I pass? The next real fear is, did I accomplish my mission? Second Timothy four and verse seven says, I fought, I finished my race, I kept the faith. This is Paul speaking to his young apprentice. Paul calls this man young, talks about his youth. He was 40. And he says, listen, I fought. I finished my race. I've kept the faith. Can we say that when this life is over, when death comes, because it comes for everyone. Sometime or another, death is going to come. 
Unless Jesus comes back, unless he splits that eastern sky and comes back to planet earth, you and I are gonna go the way of the grave. And if that happens, we're gonna have to ask ourselves two questions. One, am I secure in my salvation? Do I know I'm saved? And two, have I accomplished my mission? Have I done what I'm on planet earth to do? Can I say like Paul said to Timothy, that I've fought, I've finished my race, and I've kept the faith. Listen, I submit that we have to make sure in our own heart that we're not gonna give up in this life until we've finished our course, until we've run our race, until we've kept the faith. Sometimes that's not always easy. To stop fearing death, we must be consumed with living life. To stop fearing death, we must be consumed with the idea of living life. We must be consumed with fighting, with finishing, with keeping. We must be consumed with the idea that we will fight every day to live the life God intended for us. That we must finish our race, that we must have a goal, a purpose, an intentionality to our life, and that we are determined we will finish it and that we must keep the faith that through the ups and the downs, that through the turmoils of life, that we keep the faith, that we keep the faith in Jesus Christ. And the next one is the idea that we fear this concept of death in different areas. Business, that it would die, maybe go bankrupt. We fear that a job would end. Maybe we get fired and it cuts us off, and we fear that kind of financial burden and death. We fear the end of a relationship, a breakup, or a divorce. We fear death in different sectors of our life. We have to ask ourselves the question, the question we ask about death in general. Are you secure in Christ? Does he have you? Are you his? Are you his child? Then regardless of what you go through, he's gonna keep you secure. We know that our salvation is in him. And then we have to ask the other question, did you run your race? Did you finish the charge? Did you accomplish the mission? What if that business was intended to close because you finished your race? What if you lost that job because you finished your race? because you finished your purpose for being there and God is moving you on to greater and better things. What if a relationship ended because it's time to end? Some things have an end point in life. Not everything, but some things. And sometimes we can't fear the death of a situation because if we fear it, we don't move forward in our purpose. We don't move forward in what God's called us to. So anytime we're fearing something ending, a death, a finality to an aspect of our life, we have to ask the question, first, am I secure in him? Do I know in him I'm saved? And second, have I fought the fight? Have I finished my race? And am I keeping the faith? Going through traumatic times like these won't kill you. It won't kill you but it will give you a panic-stricken feeling that feels like death is knocking on your door. When we go through moments where we just know that we're about to bury something that was good and that was godly and we have to move on, whether of our own will or not, there's that, mo there's that moment where we are struck with panic and we wonder, God, is this where it ends? Is this where the journey stops? Is this where the train gets off? But the reality is, no, he keeps us going into bigger, into better things because we know in John chapter 12 and verse 24, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls unto the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, 
it bears much fruit. That there are moments in time that we have to take the seed of the potential that God's given in our life, put it in the ground, bury it, let it die, and walk away. There are times in relationships we have to do that. There are times in jobs we have to do that. There are times in career paths where we have to do that, where we have to bury it and say, listen, that was good for a while, but now it's time to move on. In my own life, we had this opportunity where we were working for a church that we loved, working for a ministry that we absolutely loved. And some of you know Jesse and Kathy DePlanis down south. We just love them, love their ministry. And we got to know them very, very well. And in that, they, 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 they hired someone who eventually caused a church split, gave all the, the, the faith in the world to this man, and they should have. They hired, and, and they believed in their hire. They believed in their leadership. But as the church was splitting, we became casualties of that, and we were, we were not forced out of the ministry, but it was suggested very nicely that you might not want to work here anymore. Anyone ever been in that position where you're not fired, but you don't have a job here? And so we had to decide what we were going to do. Well, we packed up our things, eventually moved to Pittsburgh. And the fear behind that was, what about this relationship that we've cultivated? What about the relationships in general that we've cultivated around the church and ministry? And we love these people. And what are we going to do? It took time, but God restored that. We had to bury it and let it die, let it germinate, and God restores. It took time, and it, it took more years than I would have thought were needed, but God was faithful, and even in, the, even in the fact that there were things being said behind our back that weren't even true, that God was still restoring and moving, and everything, not everything, but most things have been put back together and the fact is that we had to allow something to be put in the ground, to trust it with God, and to let it die and walk away in order for God to resurrect it, because he says it will bear much fruit. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship that we are to take who we are, all of who we are, not just our physical body, but everything that we are, our wants, our needs, our desires, even our purpose in life, and we're to present it to God as a, as a sacrifice. We're not to walk away, as Christians, we're not to fear death. We're supposed to be the ones that come up to the altar and say, okay, God, here I am, kill me. Kill me, kill my selfish intention. Kill the wants and desires, God, that, that are just for me and for me only. God, and this isn't right. Cut it off from my life. If this isn't gonna bring more of you out of me, then cut it off. If this isn't going to end in multiplying the seed of the potential that you've given me, then God, I don't want it anymore. The fear of death holds us back, holds us back from our purpose, holds us back ultimately from what God's calling us to because we fear the pain and the sting. Yet the Bible says, death, where is your sting? Let me say it this way, every adversity, every heartache, every failure carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Every heartache you could, you could possibly come across in this life, 
Every adversity, every failure carries with it the seed of a greater success. If we'll learn to allow God to use what's dead, to put it in the soil of his word, to put it and, and to allow it to be, to be uh, uh, watered by his word and his spirit, to put it in the ground and allow him to do what he's gonna do in his time, and then he'll bring it forth. Some of you have seen that in relationships. You've had to walk away. In fact, in our life, when, when Lori and I were dating, it was, it was Valentine's Day, and some of you have heard this story. It was Valentine's Day, and I thought, man, I'm gonna surprise her. I'm gonna knock her off her socks, right? And I am gonna buy her these really cool diamond earrings, because I saw a sign that said, diamonds are relationship super glue. I thought, yes, that's what I want. So I found these little chips, diamond chip earrings that were like, you know, that, that hazy white color, but they still call them diamonds. <laughs> like cut glass or pieces of salt. <laughs> and I, thought, I was so proud of him. And I, I got this card and I wrote, I love you all over the card. And we had never said we loved each other yet, you know. And presented her with a card and the earrings and she opens it and she reads the card and she looks at all the I love yous. And I'm sure she thought, this guy's a psycho. And <laughs> she said, thank you. And the next day she broke up with me. I thought that stupid ad <laughs> was not true. <laughs> It is not relationship super glue. To this day, I've never bought her earring or diamond earrings. Um, that's a different story. I probably need to get over that. But I was so sure that she was the one. I was so sure that she was the one that God had called into my life and, and that we were gonna be together. I had to bury that. I had to bury the thought. I had to bury the relationship and I was mad. Oh, I was mad. Stupid ad lied to me. And all I could think of was, God, there's nothing I can do here. I can't force somebody to love me. I can't force somebody into a relationship. But God, I, I, know, I know you can work in us, make us better people so that we can come together. And it took him six months to do it, which was way longer than I thought, especially as a young 20-something. But he brought us back together, and a short time later, about a year later, we were married. God knew what he was doing. He knew the time we needed. He knew the hurdles that we needed to get over. He knew the heartache that we needed to go through in order to empower ourselves to be what he's called us to be so that we can be sure this is the relationship that, that is going to last, that's gonna stand the test of time. So this death that we all fear is actually an opportunity to be reborn. It's an opportunity to be reborn. We know on a spiritual plane that when this life is over, we are reborn. We become citizens of heaven instantly. We transition from this life to the next. But in any aspect of our life where we are fearing death, we are fearing finality, we're fearing the end of the line, it is just an opportunity to be reborn, to be remade, to be new. Hopefully we come out of it. We come out of it a new creation. We become more like Christ. Hopefully in every instance where we take the seed of potential and bury it in the ground and allow it to die and germinate to bring forth fruit. Hopefully in every one of those moments in time, we become better. Because every heartache, every adversity, every failure carries with it the seed of a greater potential. But are we looking at it that way? Or are we looking at it as, this is it, it's over, life's done, it's final. It's never gonna get any better. That was the best job I could ever have. That was the best relationship that I could ever be a part of. That was, that was the best whatever. 
Or are we honest enough to say, no, God knows what he's doing. And even in hard, intense situations, that if we trust him, if we take what's been given to us, if we bury it in the ground, let it die, that he can bring forth fruit that we couldn't understand. So sometimes, as we're working through this list of fears, first, this very, very hard idea of the loss of love Sometimes the wall comes up because the potential that the person will stop approving of us if we pursue the dream and the vision that God has for us, sometimes that, that potential of the loss of love is enough to scare us, to park us in our tracks. For some of us, it's just the fear of old age, the crow's feet and the wrinkles. For some of us, it's the fear that another year on a calendar makes us less viable. And for others, it's the ultimate fear of death. What is dying cannot be resurrected. None of those fears are true. None of those fears are honest. Just like the song says and the phrase says, fear is a liar. And all of the emotions and thoughts that flood our lives, the backside of fear, they are nothing more than lies. Stop believing them. 